Now go. I think you are now ready. Ready to hear what happened. 100 years ago. The words of guidance you have been hearing since your awakening from Princess Zelda and herself. Even now, as she works to restrain Ganon from within Hyrule Castle, she calls out for your help. Welcome to Comics to Console Crusade. This is the podcast where Pat and Joe and I comb through my extensive yard sale acquired retro video game collection to discuss the best and worst of comic book oriented video games. This episode is sponsored by Omaha Bound Entertainment. Omaha Bound is your best choice for hard binding those special comics in your collection. The guys over at Omaha Bound do only the best high quality binding. And this might be the best part. They custom design every cover. So every single hardcover they design is unique. In short, when you get your comics hardbound with Omaha Bound, you'll know that you have a truly one-of-a-kind collection. In addition to binding, they also sell special trade collections of hard-to-find comics. And since this is the Comics to Console Crusade, we should point out that they can also bind your video game magazine collection, too. They get the Nintendo Powers. They get the Game Informer. Electronic Gaming Monthly. I don't know, but they can bind it. All this is available on their website, which is omahabound.com. Treat yourself in those special comics, right? And go to omahabound.com today. I'd love me some Nintendo Power. Man, yeah, was, man, that was some awesome covers. Like if you yeah. oh, if yeah. you went down into your study or your library or you know your conservatory, whatever you have at your house, and you mm-hmm. open the door and there on the shelves was just every Nintendo Power hardbound by Omaha Bound. You got every volume. How happy would you be? I'd say nine out of ten happy. <laughs> <laughs> Strong nine out of ten from Joe. Yeah, nine and a half. <laughs> just now that Joe November's here with us, I'm yeah. giving nine and a half. Nine and a half. <laughs> Only Joe can give out halfsies. <laughs> There's so many good memories from all the different covers, and some of them actually were kind of lame when you look at it now, but back then, oh, it was yeah. like, oh man, this Simon's Quest cover, holy crap, they redid it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you were like the coolest kid in school if you had the subscription Nintendo Power. Oh yeah. I didn't Every- have it. I had to go like a street urchin, like begging for Nintendo Power tips. Yep. How do I get past this boss? Because <laughs> there wasn't no internets. No, it was word of mouth, and somebody had was lucky enough to get a publication and give you a few tips. Speaking of going back to those days, let's get to today's featured game. Today's featured game is... Punisher on NES, on the Nintendo Entertainment System. But before we get started, let's really talk to the host of the show. We'll introduce each other, and we'll ask each other to describe Punisher on NES in just three words. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the always excited Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Cristados. Pat, if you would be so kind, give me the first three words that pop into your head when you think of Punisher on NES. Well, Jarrett, words can't describe... He's already exceeded the three-word count. Yes. <laughs> I will say retro. <laughs> okay. Ultra retro. Ultra retro. Yes. And yes. Okay. <laughs> Those are three words. Those are three words. <laughs> Put a lot of thought into this. And that's my answer. Yes. No. Okay. And now I'd like to introduce our on-staff musical genius, Joe November. November. Joe, how would you describe 
Punisher on the NES using only three words? Well, Pat, I would say very repetitive gameplay. And I'll dig into it a little bit more when we're talking about all your specs belong to us segments. But this game type is a rail shooter, and you're basically just shooting, killing everything on the screen. And it just gets very, very repetitive after like the first or second level. Very retro repetitive. Yeah, retro repetitive. I'm going to take retro repetitive, and then Jared's going to give me a word. (laughs) Anyway, it's it's very repetitive gameplay. Definitely isn't something that's very exciting. It's very monotonous, but it's still it's the Punisher, and so there's there's an avenue and there's an audience for that. Someone's getting punished. Yes. And now I'll turn the question to my old friend Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. A prescription for danger. Jared, please describe the Punisher on NES using only three words. All right, my first word is an acronym, but stay with me. LJN's Ooh. best game. <laughs> is that saying much? <laughs> no, because we all know that LJN was kind of famous for making bad yes. games. This one is a cut above their usual standard fare. So I'm going with LJN's best game. My alternate three-word answer is nice box art. (laughs) The box art on is really good. Okay, so I got this then. Okay, my three words, LJN's retro repetitiveness. (laughs) So you can buy. That's the Voltron combination. Oh, wow. Buy our cow powers combined. (laughs) (laughs) Before this combined powered monster goes too far. Let's throw this over to Joe to take a look at the specs of the Punisher in a segment that we like to call All Your Specs Are Belong to Us. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. Thanks, Jared. So, all your specs are belong to us. So, let's talk about some specs about this game. It was released in November of 1990. As we stated, the publisher is LJN. Does anybody know what LJN stands for? Laughing Joking Numbnuts. That's what the angry video game nerd says. I don't know what it actually stands for. I, I was curious, too. I honestly couldn't find it. I'm <laughs> sure it means something very not joking. <laughs> but <laughs> The developer was Beam Software, B-E-A-M Software, and the game type is a rail shooter. And I had to look up what a rail shooter was because I don't use that term very often. And so rail shooter is basically a type of what we call a shoot 'em up game. And in this particular type of shoot 'em up game, the player is limited to moving around the screen while the game follows a specific route, sort of like an into the screen viewpoint. So the action is viewed from behind the player and it moves into the screen and the player controls the character by dodging or shooting or whatever. And there are different examples of this. Star Fox 64 is a pretty famous one. The House of the Dead in uh, the mid-90s. Yeah, Star Wars Rebel Assault, different things. And it's even morphed into the modern forms of shooters that we know of, like Call of Duty. That's a real shooter. It's only one player, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And that's basically it. So now let's go back to Jared. Will he'll use his yard sale to eBay skills for a segment we call Cash Memory. Thank you, Joe. This game is actually kind of sought after. Mm. If you find it loose, cartridge only. I like in my notes I wrote it gets anywhere from $25 to $25. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> says on my note. I think that's a typo. No uh, negotiation whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it's actually supposed to say is it gets from fifteen to twenty five dollars, which is pretty good for a single cart NES game. A lot Do of your know, more common ones are just a buck or two. Do you know why it's more sought after? Any a couple of reasons. I don't think it had a million cart. Like let's talk about Super not, Mario Brothers. You know, yeah. had a bazillion gazillion carts made, so it's not rare. So this one didn't have that many carts made, so it's a little rare. Plus, I think the fact that it's the Punisher people like to collect you know let's be honest our podcast is a perfect example that there is certain venn diagram that goes comic book people and video game people are often the same people so i think that's where it comes from i think it's a quasi rare not super rare but quasi rare and it has a collector's market with the comic book people so if you find it complete which means you've got the box you've got the instructions and the whole nine you're looking at 50 to 75 dollars and if you find it factory sealed never opened you're looking at 150 to 200 dollars i should probably remind everyone that we are recording this in may of 2020 so markets go up markets go down depending on when you listen to this this could have changed but as of may of 2020 those are your numbers and now that we've got all the pertinent info hashed out let's take a quick podcast break and come back to talk about the gameplay of punisher Hey everybody, Clinton Robinson here. I recently attempted to sneak into the Longbox Crusade headquarters basement to watch some of the Albrecht Brothers action movies while the crew was out at the Saturday matinee theater. Too bad I had a little mishap and got stuck down here with no movies to boot. However, there are pieces of Pat's old podcasting equipment and excellent Wi-Fi service. So I decided to pass the time watching online fan films and talking about them. What, you don't know what a fan film is? Well, there are these non-theatrical movies that people post online of already established characters and settings. Hey, hey, hey now. Just wait and see. Save all judgment for what happens when you listen to Fan Film Fridays. A new podcast found on the Longbox Crusade podcast feed. Welcome back from the break. We hope you enjoyed that promo from a friend of the show. Now let's talk about the gaming experience of Punisher. We'll discuss the game in the following categories. We'll talk about graphics, the game design, enjoyability, favorite thing about the game, and least favorite thing about the game. And then we'll wrap it up with our final verdicts and rate the game on a scale of 1 to 10. So let's get to it. Let's start with graphics. And we will start with Pat. What do you think? Graphics. What I like about it is the bottom half where you have the, you know, how much ammo you got, grenade, you have Mm. the little Punisher life symbol, and then you have the words, the Punisher. Mm. I like that bottom part of it. The heads up display, the HUD, if you will. The HUD, Mm -hmm. yep. I like that. As far as the rest of the graphics go, you know. Compare it to other 8-bit games. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's that's hard to say. Other 8-bit games, it's from its time, definitely. (laughs) Okay. When you get... Gameplay graphics, somewhat pretty decent when you get to a boss battle, mm-hmm. but the cutaway text that you have along with the 8-bit graphic, mm-hmm. uh, those are a little more nicer. Yeah, the old cutscenes, quote-unquote yeah. cutscenes. I mean, they're still shots, but... Yeah, yeah but look, still, they're, they're done a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. Joe? The graphics are colorful, I'll give it that, but given that it's a very repetitive shooter, they're using the same sprites for the different characters over and over. It's just, it can get very repetitive and very boring. Did I mention repetitive? Because I'm probably going to say it a few times. <laughs> well, could you repeat that, Joe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's a little bit forgettable for me. I do like the brightness of the colors that they use in the game. So there's some variation, but other than that, it doesn't do too much for me. Well, let's get into game design. Basically, how does the game play? Uh, how does it feel? That kind of thing. And Joe, we'll let you go first round on this one. Sure. When I talked about rail shooters, this is a perfect example of that, where you basically you have unlimited ammo and you are just shooting everything on the screen, even the saxophone player. <laughs> you don't have to shoot the saxophone player. You don't have to. <laughs> oh, but once you do a couple levels, <laughs> everybody's got to die. <laughs> Even Kenny G. (laughs) It even plays different music when he's playing the music and then you kill him and then there's a different type of music. I'm sure I'll find the sound clip and put it in. Yeah, that's about the break in the monotony is when the guy shows up. Oh, I get to kill a musician. <laughs> so your favorite part of the game design, shooting yeah. the saxophone guy. Shooting the saxophone guy. <laughs> we might have already got to his favorite thing category, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. <laughs> what about overall game design, Pat? What do you think about the rail shooter? I don't know if Joe mentioned this, but the repetitiveness. <laughs> That's um, coming to mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, rail shooters, I'm not much of a side-scrolling kind of person or a rail shooting kind of guy either. They just don't do it for me. I think the only game that I really enjoyed on a side-scrolling game, uh, well, besides Mario, is Contra. You know? Yeah. But this definitely is not a Contra. No. this Again, it's, you're kind of literally on rails. You can move the Punisher. You can move Left the, yeah. and right on the screen to help dodge bullets. But other than that, the background's going by and you're just shooting it up. Yeah. And they weren't really shooting at you. I mean, they were, but they weren't hitting you. It was easy to dodge these things. Relatively, yeah. That's where I'm going to give it some props. I think its controls are actually really good. We were tight. For the NES. Most of your NES games that were rail shooters used the light gun. You know, like Freedom Force and... Mm-hmm. Freedom Force is the only one I can think of. <laughs> See, to me, that would make it more funner. I think I read somewhere where this was originally intended to be a light gun game, and then okay. for some reason they changed it to a controller. I reserve yeah. the right to be wrong, but I want to say in my research that that's what happened. But I got to say, a lot of times when they convert rail shooters to controller shooters, it's not the same. But the controls here, pretty spot on. The LJN got something right there. I, I don't get frustrated with the controls when I play. I'm basically the defense attorney for this game. Yeah. <laughs> your, your honor, the, the controls are clearly very good. <laughs> Mechanically, they're all... Everything's been greased up and working properly. It cannot right. be the controller, your honor. It could not be. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then just the repetitive... Again, I'll say it again. The repetitiveness of the backgrounds. Come on, they could have at least changed up a background or something. And but. yeah, the only time I can really remember it feeling different is like when they went in the prison. Otherwise, yeah. all the streets kind of seem the same. Yeah. At least they went Just from like the colors, streets different. to the pier yeah. to the prison to the, sewer, yeah. to the sewer. But once you've got that stage rolling, it's it is what it is for, for yeah. quite a while. So yeah. and then you can like shoot and go into the secret extra bonus areas. Which are just as monotonous as the yeah. mm-hmm. So it's like there's a guy down there playing sax. <laughs> oh yeah, he has people everywhere. Yeah. He's probably homeless though. That guy's making bank. <laughs> well, now thanks to you, he's homeless and dead. So <laughs> that's all game design. Let's talk about just enjoyability. I think I know where this is going. 
Joe, what do you think? I didn't enjoy it very much. <laughs> just put it that way. No, sir. No, sir. I, like I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, this is just not my cup of tea for a video game. Even when it came out back then, when the 8 bit NES was all the rage, this game was something that you would, you know, rent from the local video game shop on a, on a weekend yeah, for a couple yeah. of days, play through it, turn it back before Sunday, Monday. And, you know, if you beat it, you beat it. If you don't, there's other games you can play. I think that's a good way to put it, Joe. I really yeah. do. What do you think, Pat? I kind of agree with Joe, too. You know, I miss those days, too, of being able to go to the video store and you would be able to rent these games. I'll rent you my own games if you want. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I'm going to, yeah, well, you know, we didn't have the money to go buy it so you could rent it. I remember they would rent out the system, too. Mm-hmm. Some of the my friends didn't have the system, so they would like, hey, let's pull our money together. We'll rent it Nintendo, and then we'll be able to play it for, for like oh, a wow. weekend. Y'all were fancy because like we yeah. just rented the games. We didn't have time for systems. <laughs> our, our economy wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ones that couldn't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I miss that part of it, being able to go rent that video game. See mm-hmm. a bunch of them on the wall and just yeah. looking at the box art. Again, that's when the box art really meant something to you because you could True. sit there and stare at the box art and just go, man, this game's going to be awesome. <laughs> that's what everybody thought about Metal Gear because it's like they put Reese on the cover. Yeah, I know, right? Reese from <laughs> Terminator? From, yeah. So you know it had to be good. well i will definitely put my two cents in and say that i I think i probably have a higher enjoyability than the rest of you guys but i think it's very nostalgia i mean this is one of those things where i was like keyed up i was like it's i get to play as the punisher you know comic book stuff wasn't as prolific ubiquitous as it is now (laughs) Uh, so anything you could get was pretty awesome and this came out right on the heels of the Dolph Lundgren movie so Punisher Mm -hmm. was kind of in the consciousness and cool and so do you think that this may have caused a rush on this game because there's a definite possibility but looking at LJN's other stellar titles I'm going to say they (laughs) they did pretty good on this one I mean they didn't try to release it with Punisher because Punisher came out in 89 and this came out in the late 1990 so they obviously weren't trying to sync it up Mm, but I think they were just trying to say hey you know and comic books were real hot you know in the early 90s comics got hot again and People mm-hmm. got interested. The collector's market went crazy. So I think all that sort of mixes in a stew and gets us what we got, to be honest with you. But let's move into our favorite thing about the game. So you may have to look hard, but you got to come up with something that you liked about it. And we'll start with Pat. I liked being able to take out the saxophone player. <laughs> <laughs> You're an evil man. <laughs> evil man. Uh, no, you know, the other thing I liked, like I said, is the the boss. Oh, yeah, boss the fights boss were battles, mixed up. Yeah, because yeah. it's something different. Yeah, that's true. You know, overall, the boss battles were once you got the know the timing and what you needed to do, just like every game, once you figure that out, it made it easier. But yeah, they were kind of fun. Excellent. Joe, favorite thing? I actually appreciated the dialogue. I thought that was kind of cool when he's basically giving his cutscenes is like, I got to clean up the city. You know, (laughs) it's very, very noir type of dialogue that he's talking about that, you know, he's responsible for making sure that the city's streets are clean and the different reactions that he has to each of the levels that you progress through, you know, changes the dialogue. And I kind of dig that. I read on Wikipedia that legendary comic book writer Chuck Dixon had a hand in this game and writing some of that stuff. And I I don't know if that's sure or not it's wikipedia i didn't see his name in the credits that i looked for it so i don't know 
but certainly could have with dialogue that kind of captured you like that and really felt yeah. like Punisher. I'd say my favorite thing about this game is just being able to play the Punisher and lay out a bunch of criminals like kitchen tile, just spraying <laughs> on bullets everywhere. Sometimes I'm just in the mood for that kind of a game where I just get in and spray bullets everywhere. Like when I was in college, man, I can't say how many quarters that Delvin the Dark Web Williams and I dropped into the Area 51 arcade machine, which is absolutely a rail shooter. Mm-hmm. And when Delvin wasn't there, I would drop quarters into both slots so I could play it two-fisted using Ooh. both guns, acting like a Desperado and stuff. So I'm into this kind of game, obviously more so than you guys are. So I do like just cutting loose with it and just being the Punisher and shoot bad guys for a while for maybe a few minutes, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once the monotony sets in, it gets less fun. I think yeah. at the end of the day, they really should have just shortened the levels. I think we all would have liked it. I appreciate the fact they're trying to give us our value in yeah. time to play it. But I think if they cut each level by about half to get yeah. to a boss battle, it might have picked things up. But you know what? I'm kind of dipping into the next category. So let's go there. Let's talk about our least favorite thing. Joe, what's your least favorite thing about this game? I, I bet I think, the word repetitive. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to go a different route because I think that because of the property of the Punisher and what he can do, it's hard to kind of create a game to do anything other than what they did. Because the Punisher, his only superpower is to shoot. <laughs> he has a <laughs> firearm skill. It's just sad that, you know, you can't do anything more with that. And so the game kind of suffers because of that. Because all you're doing is just shooting. And that's all that the Punisher will ever do. He's, he's not a dialogue person, even though he had some cool lines. But, you know, he's not going to talk to him to death. He's not going to turn him to death. He's going to shoot you. And I think that was kind of like the least favorite thing for me is just that there was nothing more you could do with that in this game other than shoot. Okay, interesting. I'll have things to say about that, but Mm. let's see what Pat has to say. My least favorite thing would be the gameplay, again, too, just like Joe said, the repetitiveness. I think what you could do with the Punisher, even back then, is we mentioned it. He could be a Metal Gear. He could be Snake. If you put him in that sneaky kind of mode, Uh uh and then when he needed to pick up a gun, then use the gun. I could play a game like that on an 8-bit game. That would be kind of fun. Maybe be like, oh, they're just trying to do a Metal Gear. (laughs) You know? (laughs) This is just a janky Metal Gear game. (laughs) With Punisher all over it, yeah. Yeah, with the Punisher all over it. But I and get your ma- point. Maybe at one point you get to drive the battle wagon. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Drive around yeah. the battle wagon. And then you start mulling fools out with <laughs> running them over. Yeah, there's something to that. That'd be fun. See, I could make a game. There you go. I would probably say my least favorite thing about the game is, surprise, surprise, the levels are too long and monotonous. We all saw it coming. I know that you can do a lot with the Punisher, and it's not fair to make this comparison on the NES, but they did make a Punisher game for the PS2 and Mm -hmm. the Xbox, the original Xbox, and it's pretty fun. They give you a lot of things you can do, because there's a lot of interesting kills you can do. You can use a lot of stuff in the environment to kill the bad guys, which is really what makes the game a lot of fun. Mm. I've played it, and I beat it, and maybe it'll come up on the show at some point, Mm. but there is things you can do, but you know, going to the 8-bit Nintendo, I think you're right, Pat. I think you probably have to do a Metal Gear style, or maybe even get really crazy creative and do a Punisher RPG 
Ooh. You can you know, select your like attack that, yeah. weapons and stuff like that as you're going through. More tactical, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not <laughs> it's much dangerous can... out there. Take this gun. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you're just going to make every other platformer. Like, we did our original Comics Console Crusade was on the 89 Batman game. And, yeah. I mean, you could have Punisher running through and make it a platformer and jump and shoot. I mean, that's what Batman was essentially doing. Basically, um, but, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of room to move. But, yeah. In the uh, least favorite thing, repetitive levels. I want to go back to a good thing on this game. What I liked about it is that it wasn't always the same boss. You got to choose yes, who the you order. wanted to go after. So yes. that was kind of interesting. So, you know, if Rail I shooter to during out- the levels, but between levels, you pick your path, a la yeah. Mega Man. Eventually, you all, you'll end up at the end fighting the big boss. But True. you could take out different bosses. That part was at least interesting. All right. Good point. Nothing left to do but to score it. <laughs> We score them here on a scale of 1 to 10. 5 means it's average. It's a middle-of-the-road game. It does what you want it to do. It's fine. And then they go up to 10 from there and down to 1 from there. So with that barometer in mind, Pat, what are you scoring this one on a 1 to 10? I'm going to give it a 3. That hurts. Joe, November. I'm going to give it just a tad bit more love, and I'm going to say a 5, but not much. I understand. I thought it was very average for its time as well, so I'm giving it a five. So we're five, five, and three across the board. But you know what? It seems like we forgot something. And I know what it is. Let's throw it over to Joe November, our on-staff musical genius, to talk about the music, or lack thereof, in a segment called (laughs) Superconductor. You gave it away. Yes, friends, Superconductor's musical segment. So, let's talk about the music. There's not a lot of it. Uh-uh. <laughs> There's not a lot of it. There's a lot of driving, repetitive music. Sort of. The one thing that I did like <laughs> that was very interesting to me now, that I'm listening to it in 2020 years, is that the intro music was probably my favorite. Like the title screen... Because it sounded like it could be turned into like a modern day trap beat, the way uh-huh. that it sounded. I was like, oh, I can actually flip this and do something with this. As, <laughs> as you know, I do music and stuff like that. But I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, probably back in 1990, it sounded way different because we had ears that were different. We weren't thinking of it in those terms. But today, it's like, oh, man, I could hear something from that. I also liked the music from the dialogue scene. It was very memorable there. I'm sure Jared will play a clip from that. And then, obviously, when the saxophone player showed up. music was cool because it was such it was such a diversion from the music that was being played while you're shooting people and then I hear wait, this wait, wait, wait we gotta go back because yeah. you, you, the game fooled you in your brain there's literally no music playing as you're going through the level ah uh, that's true <laughs> that's true I'm thinking of just the title screen and then up to it. <laughs> the only during, music you get during the playthrough level is saxophone man. When it's saxophone man. Yep. Because then it definitely breaks the monotony because you're just hearing bullets fly and ricocheting, and then all of a sudden the saxophone guy comes out. Mm-hmm. 
and, and you're like, like should what? I kill him? Should I not yeah. kill him? Because I want some music in this game. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely breaks up the monotony a little bit, and I think that's probably why they put it in there, is just to give it a little break to the player. But other than that, yeah, there's really not a whole lot of music. So, uh, Tanya you, Smith and Gavin Anderson, you guys got your paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tanya Smith and Gavin Anderson, I guess, was the other mm. guy involved in making the music. I downloaded a audio track for the whole game because that's mm-hmm. what I do before we record these. So I'll have it for production work and stuff. The entirety of all the game music, including saxophone man and dead saxophone man is seven minutes. Wow. I think there's a total of seven minutes of music that was made for this game. Because like I said, there's just no music during the gameplay level aside That's from the saxophone. Mm-hmm. So it's really just between stages stuff and saxophone man. Total of seven <laughs> minutes. Boy, it just seems like they really rushed this one then. Did you have any success out. looking for alternate no. tracks? Anybody no. doing any remixes on this music? Nobody cared. <laughs> wow. Nobody cared. There's a market in it, Joe. There you go. Uh, yeah. It seriously piqued my interest on the title screen. And I'm sure when Cher plays it in the final cut, people can hear it. So we'll see. That's all for the Superconductor musical segment. Let's throw it over to Pat to lead us in a discussion on how well the game captures the essence of the comic book in a segment called Reformatted. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. Let's kind of talk about how does this compare to the Punisher comic? We'll go around the horn. Have you read a Punisher comic, Jared? Absolutely. Joe? Definitely. Okay. All right. That's covered. Now. Reading Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) How does the environment feel to you then? Uh, Since reading, I'm sure you've probably read more than one and you've gotten a taste for the Punisher. How does that environment fit to what we saw in the gameplay does it meet the standards does it look like you were playing the punisher yeah i say so it definitely gives the impression that new york is not a great place to live (laughs) (laughs) especially if you're a sax player oh my god given the 8-bit environment there's not a whole lot you can do to kind of create a graphic scene of modern day new york or modern day as it was in the early 90s Mm -hmm. so they did their best I agree with Joe. I think with 8-Bit, they did a pretty good job. CD environments, dark, uh, dingy streets. Uh, overall, yeah, for 8-Bit, I think they did fine. What about the villains? Now, like I said before, I'd mentioned that for the villains, you were able to choose multiple paths you could go down to as far as who you wanted to begin to punish or go after, like the Punisher would. He'd, you know, go after his prey for the villains. What's your thoughts on that? Let's start with Jared. Well, I love that they use the Kingpin as the big bad. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I love that they use the Hitman because I like to watch out for the Hitman. Hitman. Other than and Jigsaw. I like Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Other Man. than that, all the other villains, I was like... 
Are these actual Punisher villains? <laughs> I don't know. I may just may not know enough about the Punisher. May have read enough issues. We probably should have uh, invited Battle Wagon himself, mm-hmm. Old yep. Ben, on here to kind of clear that up for us. Battle Wagon. But I, you would think I would have written down the names of them, but I didn't. If anybody's got those names off the top of their head. Yeah, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. And ironically, only Hitman and Jigsaw have hyperlinks to them. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody else cares about the villains <laughs> other than those two and the Kingpin. There's Colonel Cle- League. There's oh, yes. Sijo Kanaka and Assassin. That's his name. Assassin. Assassin yeah. So I'm guessing those three without hyperlinks either are very, very, very minor characters or they just were made up for the game for extra right. Right. Uh, I rattled off the memorable ones, but I'll pass it to Joe. Anything additional since you've got it at your fingertips? Obviously, the Kingpin was definitely a, a good choice for the final boss. You know, he's such a, a menacing character in the comics that it's very appropriate to put him as a final boss in this game. Even when the Netflix show was on, uh, there was really good dynamic there between the Kingpin and what he was able to do in New York and how his legacy, even after he went to prison, after Daredevil put him there, he still had an imprint on the baddies of New York uh-huh. and the Punisher still had to deal with that. And I think that's what makes him as a villain kind of interesting because he not only has, you know, Spider-Man mm-hmm. and then you had Daredevil and now you have the Punisher as well too. And then an overall great villainy kind of guy that, you know, more heroes to go around can share him and he can take over them and, and fight them. Makes him a really cool, interesting character. Uh, last but not least, let's go ahead and talk about, did this make you feel like you were playing the comic book character, Joe? Yeah. I mean, you're just shooting, shooting. <laughs> <laughs> shooting, make shoot, shoot. <laughs> that's all you did. And that's what he would do. That's how you solve problems. <laughs> Jared? Yes, as good as you could. On the NES, kind of in the same vein that Batman 89 made you feel like you were playing as Batman. Yeah. Uh, I, think I think he had they, more gadgets, though, in that one. Yeah, but again, yeah. Punisher. So, I mean, it was really just various types of guns and rocket launcher slash grenade type stuff. So, I think, yes, especially when you factor in that there wasn't a game rating system yet. Like the one that on the PS2, you definitely feel more like the Punisher, but it's rated M because it's super violent. So, okay. For the time and for the limitations of the hardware, it did a fair enough job making me buy into the Punisher. And I since I know you're wrapping up the segment, I just want to give one more plug to the really great box art. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything really tied it to the comics, that box art is incredible. Yep. It almost looks Jim Lee-ish to me, but I couldn't figure out who actually drew it. Uh, mm. It has a Jim Lee vibe, but I can't say for sure whether or not it's him. But it's very comic booky, uh, especially of the 90s and very cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But the pixelation and the, the shadowing mm-hmm. is definitely indicative of the times. Very cool. All right. Well, with that, uh, now that we've got the comic to game comparison all figured out, let's go ahead and take another quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we'll talk about our memories of this game and bring the show home. Hello there, this is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist, with a quick podcast promo for my show, Comics with Normies. Here's how the show works. Using my yard sailing skills, I acquire a random comic book from a yard sale. I then give said random comic to a normie, a normie being a person who doesn't normally read comic books. Then, on the show, I'll sit down with the normie to discuss the issue, get a real outsider's point of view, and see what some of the comics that we love and maybe not love so much, seem like to those normal folks we see walking around on the streets each day. It should be a fun perspective and good for a few laughs. You can check out the Comics with Normies podcast, along with some other fun-filled podcasts from White Rocket Entertainment, on iTunes and at White Rocket. 
www.podbean.com. And feel free to join the show using Twitter handle at Normies Podcast or on Facebook at Comics with Normies. Once again, you can find Comics with Normies on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the show. Let's hop into our DeLorean, get it up to 88 miles per hour, and talk about our memories of this game and what was going on in our lives in a segment called Save Point. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. During our Save Point discussion, we'll give you some context for the time that our featured game was released by discussing video game news of that time, what was playing at the movies, and what were some of the chart-topping songs. And then we'll wrap it all up with our personal memories surrounding The Punisher. So, here are the video game events and notable releases for November 1990. King's Quest number five. <laughs> That's Mambo number five. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody's got a quest, so come on, let's ride. Castle down the corner. You said you wanted me a princess in a room, Rowana. Oh, Joe had to live through that. Yeah. King's wow. Quest. Oh man, one of my one of my favorite <sighs> games. One of my favorite computer games at the time. Queen King's Quest one, two, three, four, and of course five. Definitely enjoyed the King Quest games. Uh, Everyone's favorite thing to do computer. is to type in a bad word. King's Quest itself will tell you. I don't think you should be using that language. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to my grandmother's house and she had a computer and I can't remember which King's Quest was on there, but it was definitely a King's Quest game. And it was probably around this time. So it may have been five. I had a lot of fun playing that game. That game and Space Quest was another good game too to play. Police Quest. <laughs> Police Quest. Yeah. Leisure Suit Larry. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> For the late night gaming uh, sessions. Oh, uh, what, what other games came out in November <laughs> 1990s, Pat? Oh, we have Mega Man 3. Oh, such an awesome game. I wasn't a Mega Man person, so. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I got it for Christmas one year and. Just played it nonstop. It was that and Castlevania 3. Mm, yeah. Yes, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Castlevania, definitely. Another one was Super Mario World in Japan, and it launched on the Super Famicom. Konnichiwa, konnichiwa, Super Famicom. Ooh, Super Mario World. So we were this close to getting Super Mario World at this time, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we had to be in another country to do it. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> or have find a way to port it over to here and but, yeah, again, you got to think that this Punisher game's coming out as the NES is winding down because the Super NES is about to take off. About to yeah. kick off. All right. Well, with that, we'll go to our top three grossing films of this time. 
coming in at number three was Three Men and a Little Lady. Let's see. So that one was Tom Selleck. Um, mm-hmm. Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg. I was going to say the guy from Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Ted Danson. And Ted Danson. Yeah, this was the sequel. This is the sequel, and yeah. Baby. And it's actually pretty entertaining. I went and saw it at the theater. I think I've seen it, but I don't, don't got any other memories of it. No, I, I definitely didn't see it. I knew of it, but I didn't see it. I probably saw the first one, but didn't see this one. All right. Coming in at number two for November of 1990 was Dances with Wolves. Kevin Costner was all over the movies <laughs> around this time. Yeah, this he was, owned the box office at this time. Yeah. Between this and Robin Hood. The Waterworld. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which I've never actually seen. I no. have seen Dance with Wolves. I call Dance with Wolves a great one-timer where you watch it once and you go, that was pretty good. But like, mm. it's hard for me to go back to it because I'm like, I don't want to spend the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like three hours long. Yeah, it's a it's long, long movie. Long movie. And, it, and it's a lot of it's a little bit slow. So you got to kind of be in that mood. I'm just like. You got to watch it on Listen. Sunday morning with all the lights on <laughs> so you don't fall asleep. <laughs> you want a great Kevin Costner. You go back and watch the movie Night Shift with Henry Winkler and Michael okay. Keaton, Shelley Long. Mm-hmm. He's frat boy number one. When the frat boys are having a party down in the morgue because they rented it out, uh. camera will freeze on him. You'll be like, holy crap, that's a young Kevin Costner. Yeah. Look out for <laughs> frat boy number one. <laughs> wow. Anyway, what's the number one movie, Joe? And the number one movie around this time was Home Alone. Ah! I know everybody saw this movie. Kevin! <laughs> I might be one of the last people to see it. I never saw Home Alone until... Not in theaters? No. Oh. No. No. I probably saw it in college. Which, I mean, which is funny. Like, it seems so long from 1990 to yeah, college. college. Like, that was so long. It was literally five years. Yeah. <laughs> five it wasn't years. that long. Yeah. It wasn't that long. But yeah, I was one of the last people on the planet to see Home Alone. And, and I bet you saw it on VHS. True. <laughs> Verified. Yeah. As did I. Yeah. I didn't see it in the theaters. I probably saw it when somebody had it playing in their VHS system. <laughs> I don't know if it was in the dorm room or in someone's house, but yeah. Home so, Alone. Charming Christmas movie. I highly recommend anybody check out the Netflix series. Was it the movies that made us? Yes. And they have an episode on the making Home Alone. It's actually quite fascinating. So check that out. All right. Well, now that we have the top three movies, let's find out what the top three songs were that were playing on your pop radio station during November 1990. And we'll start it off with number three is Pray by MC Hammer. That's why we pray. Pray. Got to pray. Pray. That was a very interesting choice for him to do, and that it it was very interesting that it actually took off. Like people actually played that song on the radio because mm-hmm. not a lot of people had any you know very religious themes on pop radio. And I remember this one specifically. It was just like, oh, this is different. You know, you go mm-hmm. from can't touch this to pray. Very very interesting. It just talked about the beat. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a nice nice beat to it for sure. And of course, the sample that they use for that song, Jared, you mm-hmm. would dig it. <laughs> you, I'm sure you dig it. I'd be a Prince fan when they sampled Dove's Cry for that. Yes, I they did. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and that was also another draw too, because you know sampling issues were a lot different back then than they are now. And so you could pretty much sample as much as you want without too much legalese going on. So when. <laughs> Which brings me to the number two song. On our list. <laughs> Good segue. Good segue. What is the number two number two song, Jared? I'm happy to tell you the number two song is a little ditty called "Ice Ice Baby" by Vanilla Ice. Yo, 
VIP. Let's kick it. Which has a sample from Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie, and that had a court case attached to it. And I, yes, I've it heard did. it to this day that Queen and David Bowie actually made more money off that song than Vanilla Ice did. But either way, ain't nobody hurting for change on that song because that song goes everywhere. And let me tell you something: it, it went through its like clowning phase, like when rap got real hard in the in the mid '90s, you know, with yeah. NWA and all that stuff. Mm. People would like clown Vanilla Ice, but even then, even then, it would still get played in any club you went to, and people would still jam to it. So, oh, yeah. clown it all you want, folks. Although I feel like it's out of its clowning phase and it's back in its uh, fun phase, but yeah. clown it all you want. It's it's a great jam and it's fun to dance to. Yeah, even when I was a young lieutenant stationed in different places, and you go to the clubs and stuff, and they would play the '90s music, this song would yeah. make people come to the dance floor. It didn't matter what walk of life you came from. Delve in the Dark Web Williams has an awesome, awesome dance that he does. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I live stream. <laughs> oh. I'll definitely agree with that. When I was DJing, you know, this song would come out a little bit later in the evening. This would be like a maybe a two-time player of a song sometimes, depending on what was happening. But definitely you play that song, boom, pack the dance floor. Everybody mm. dancing. Good jam. And singing. You know, every you can't tell me who doesn't know the words to the song. Or at least some. All right, stop. You know. Collaborate. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I mean, I take it to the extreme. I rock the mic like a vandal. I just got to say, watch the like a candle. Dance. I just got to say, boom. Killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly. That play is a melody. Anything less of the best is a felony. Love it. Believe it. You better gang way. You better hit the bulls. Other kids don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hood. I'll teach you your style. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, a version, a version of the song that I really liked was when Jim Carrey parried it on A Living Color. <laughs> you had to find that clip and play it, but uh, it's pretty good. Yo, VIP, let's kick it. I do up my laces. This kind of thing happens every show. Yo, I gotta learn how to tie a bow. What's your real name? Robert Van Winkle. Where did you change? Nothing rhymes with Winkle. I'm white and I'm capitalizing on a trend that's currently rising. Mix it with Curly and Larry and Mo. Hey yo! Maybe never. I become richer with every endeavor. I'm living large and my bank is stupid because I just listen to real rap and stupid. I forgot about that until you said it just now. <laughs> Tell us the number one song, Joe. The number one song on November of 1990. Everybody was still in their feelings around this time. <laughs> they, they love me some Mariah Carey. Love takes time. Oh, that was nice. I don't know the rest. 
because you know, I can't you get those notes. more than I did. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I got love takes time, and then that was it. Mariah Carey, the whole problem with her, she was so successful. She had like 26 different songs <laughs> charted mm-hmm. over the course of two or three years. There's a good chance when one of them comes up, I'm like, I don't remember that one. <laughs> yeah. So many of them. Although she is still making bank to this day over her Christmas song, All I Want from Christmas oh, is You. Wow. To uh, this day, she's getting who? mad money. Crazy. It's the gift that keeps on giving right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not that song. Not Love Takes Time. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, let's go ahead and talk about some standout personal memories surrounding today's featured game. Uh, we talked a little bit as we went through the last kind of three segments here. But how about about the game? Joe, do you have any outstanding personal memories around this time? Not around the game, just around what I was doing at yeah. the time. In November of 1990, I was a freshman in high school just trying to break out of that middle school mode and get into the high school mode. Basketball season was starting to get in full swing at that time, trying to get through life as an awkward kid, you know, into sports and video games and comic books and trying to be a good kid. Jared, memories? I do remember this game coming out. I remember being pumped for it. I was pumped for any kind of comic book media we could get because this was pretty much the height of my comic book collecting really is between about 1984 to about 1992. So we're smack dab in 1990. I'm loving everything superhero. So when something comes out, it catches my attention. I remember the game coming out. I remember plain white t-shirts and I would get art markers and I would make my own superhero t-shirts based off of designs I saw. And I, I remember making a Punisher one based off the box art design. Sitting out there, I'd, I'd stretch it out over a piece of cardboard, then I'd draw him out. And oh. uh, those are still for sale at the yard sale artist. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, early, early yard but, sale arts creeping in there. I was drawing superheroes on, on white T-shirts. and The youth size? It was funny you should say that. Kind of, yeah, because a lot of the times I didn't draw them for me. I would get whatever white shirts I could find, and mm-hmm. sometimes they were smaller, so I'd draw them for kids in the neighborhood. And oh, I'm pretty cool. sure I remember giving the Punisher shirt away to a kid in the neighborhood. Oh, very cool. I very rarely kept one for myself. I'd always draw them and give them away. Mm. That's the kind of guy you are. Yeah, probably the first time I went through the wash, all, you know, 90% of the <laughs> <laughs> The design was probably just a hot mess. You know, everybody ended up looking like the blob at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my personal memory is just drawing the design on a shirt. What about you, Pat? You know, memory of the game, not so much. If I do remember, I may have probably saw it on the video shelves at the video store, but probably passed on it at the time. But still, would have, you know, caught my eye. Ooh, Punisher. But then, eh, I'll pass on that. You know, like Joe said, November 1990, I am in my senior year of high school. Ooh, um, that'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So around November getting close to a Sadie Hawkins dance or something like that. So I was probably DJing that too, because, you know, that's what I would do. Uh, Like Joe said, basketball games every Friday night, if there was a home basketball game, Mm -hmm. um, we had like an hour afterwards up to 1030 or maybe 11 once the game was done. So from probably like 9 to 1030 or 11, uh, we had a little dance afterwards. Did you have like a pep band there? There was a band at the game, but afterwards... It was DJ. Uh, it was DJ, yeah. It was just DJing. At the game, pep band, was there a saxophone player? If there was, he wasn't there anymore. <laughs> he saw where I was going. I'm sure there was. <laughs> but no, you know, just to get more nerdy, I couldn't really tell you because I was up in the booth and I was filming it because, you know, I was in the audio video club. Oh, the AV club? Yeah, I was in the AV club. So awesome. 
I know. Um, <laughs> we would, I would film the basketball games. Let me save you from yourself and bring the show to a close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you, I spill yeah, too much. You don't want yes. you to spill too much. Well, that pretty much brings it home for us. We're just going to give a quick shout out to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy discounts from my online store, which is theyardsaleartist.com. They get early access to long box episodes. They get input on show content, all kinds of cool stuff. And I will kick it off with Angelica Wolf. Ow, fat. Bill Bear. Blast it or stash it. Bob Busta. Braxton Underwood. David Collins. Battle Wagon. Gene Hendricks. Gerald Green. Greg Van Leuven. I, the Collector. Ivor Evans. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman. Oh, I know this guy. Oh. <laughs> Joe Thomas. <laughs> John Watson. John and Maggie. Jose Pollo. Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. Paul Hicks. Reggie Hancock. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rosh Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Toronto Cup. And one-time donor, Bradford William. If we miss anyone on our list, we apologize. Keep in mind, we record these episodes well in advance of release, so if you're a recent edition, we will add you soon. No worries, just let us know we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll get it straightened out. You might be asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? It's simple. Just head over to patreon.com, don't be Jason, and search for Longbox Crusade. <laughs> For as little as $1 a month, you get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. If you don't have any extra scratch laying around, but you want to help us out here at LBC headquarters, please take a moment to write a review on iTunes for this podcast. Even if you want to keep it short with just star ratings, it helps raise the profile of the show, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Now, Pat, why don't you give the folks a reminder how they can get in touch with us if they want to chat about this show or any of the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find any of our many fine programs on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers at www.longboxcrusade.com. And you can also email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. I'd love to hear from you. Or you can hit us up on the social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Longbox Crusade. And if you want to interact with us with live chat and be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles, join us on our next episode of Doing It Live Stream over on YouTube. We do them on the second Sunday of every month, and we always start at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. You can get signed up for that by looking up Longbox Crusade on YouTube and by clicking the bell to subscribe to the channel. Then you'll get a reminder notifications for when we go live. Back to you, Jared. Okay, I want to thank the team for being here. And here's where you can find us on the internet. Pat, where can they find you on social media? You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Joe? Yeah, you can find me on several places. So I'm on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitter under Joseflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. And I'm also on Instagram under Joe November. I also have my own Bandcamp page, joenovember.bandcamp.com. Please check it out. Awesome. And of course, I'm at Yard Sale Artist. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can look up the yardsaleartist.com for my sales site or go to YouTube and search Yard Sale Artist. You will find me drawing pictures there. Well, thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us as we go on a crusade to play them all. The music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. 
please check out his SoundCloud at Joseflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. You will not regret it. I did not think it wise to overwhelm you while your memory was still fragile. So rather than that, I thought it best to assume a temporary form. Somehow we get through. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's get going so Joe can get to bed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I forgot it. We did this, so you caught me off guard here. <laughs> it just I got duped again. Got duped. <laughs> we got a whole <laughs> script. <laughs> okay. I don't, we don't script. Who got it? <laughs> Well, either way, the next line is yours in the script. Oh, is it? See, I'm not even watching the script. Mm-hmm. The script. <laughs> this is just sad. But you got to remember, he wasn't here last time, so it's been like it's been like a year. For yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I fixed the spelling there, so it doesn't say reformatted anymore. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm.